writers, welcome back to Story Magic, the podcast that will help you write a book you're damn proud of. I'm Lewis. And I'm Rachel. And today we are going to be talking about creating consistency in our writing routines. Yay! So if you didn't notice, um, we have a little bit of a, a different co-host with us today. Uh, we are joined by Lewis, um, Lewis Rorsat of the Novel Smithy. Um, Emily is out on maternity leave. She had a lovely little girl in September. So Lewis will be joining us to co-host a few episodes. And this is one of the ones we're so lucky to have him on. Um, so thank you so much to Lewis for joining. Um, and for uh, those who don't know, Lewis is such a good friend of the podcast and of um, Emily and I at Golden May. Um, we've worked with him in so many different ways. And I just have such a fun time every single time we do it. We just spent like an hour talking about anime, which was super fun. Um, so, Lewis, um, before we jump in, could you tell us where people normally can find you when you're not co-hosting an episode with me? Um, yeah, normally people can find me at thenovelsmithy.com. Um, that's sort of where all my stuff lives. Uh, but at least for the next for the next couple episodes, uh, you can also find me here, which will be really exciting. I'm I'm very stoked. I've always been too anxious to start my own podcast, but this gives me a chance to get some practice in. You need to feel it out. See what you like. <laughs> Maybe you can convince me. <laughs> I think I can. I think I can. Because the last episode we recorded, you were like, hell will freeze over. And this time we're like, maybe, maybe it could happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm warming up little, little by little. Hell is thawing. <laughs> um, but yeah, this will be really fun. I'm very excited, especially for this topic, because um, for anyone who is already familiar with me, I'm sort of famously not a mindset guy. <laughs> I have always uh, been a very beat your head against that wall until you figure it out kind of person which is not the most healthy approach. And I'm slowly sort of learning and shifting. Um, so I have lots of questions for you. <laughs> oh, I love it. I And this is something that I feel really passionate about, um, consistency and sustainability in your writing routine. Um, because for so, so long, I was inconsistent and I had no idea why. And I used to beat myself up for it. And I had like no idea how to find consistency that didn't look like me um, nose to the grindstone or me you know, shaming myself to the page in order to be consistent or stay consistent. So I'm really excited to talk about this too, because um, there's so many different facets, facets of this conversation um, that people of all sorts of experiences should know or need to know or, or want to feel like they know what to do um, in order to develop that consistency. So uh, where should we start? Should we start with just like, what what does consistency mean? What are we talking about? Yeah, I would love to, um, especially because I think there's a lot of ways you could like different people might think of what consistency is. Um, so I'd love to know when when y'all talk about creating a consistent, and I think also not just consistent, but like a sustainable, healthy writing practice. What is what does that look like? What what does that mean? Yes. Okay. So when I say those words, consistent and sustainable. Um, and I, I actually have defined them for our writing community, Tenacious Writing. Consistency is the idea that your routine has a general sense of regularity. And besides that, I don't really define how often or what that means. But the vibes of consistency is that you're just able to show up as, with a sense of regularity over a long period of time, over a, 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 however that looks like. It looks like forward moving progress without feeling so disconnected from your story that you almost have to like start from square one. Um, 
On the paired with that, holding hands with that idea of consistency is the idea of sustainability. And to me, that means the idea of carrying this habit through um, easy times, hard times, good times, tough times. It means that you are able to listen to like the natural ebbs and flows of the process of your body. Um, and you're able to show up to your page, to your writing process from a place of ease and fulfillment rather than a place of burden. So consistency is like you can do it regularly and sustainability is like you don't get thrown off your game if something happens. Um, and I think those two things paired together result in um, the writing life that feels good, that like makes progress, accomplishes your goals and doesn't kill you while you're doing it, doesn't drive you straight into a burnout hole. That's what it means to me, yeah. That definition is really interesting and like strikes me a lot. Um, and I say this again, sort of from a place of like learning, slightly ignorance, trying to get better. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, earlier in my life, and I've been slowly starting to get better at this, but I still hold it sort of subconsciously is the idea that like, well, you know, a sustainable writing routine is like you write when you feel like it. Like avoiding burnout means you're just writing when you feel like it, but sometimes writing is going to be hard. And so you just kind of, they're as reductive as the like butt in chair mantra is, mm -hmm. there is a small kernel of truth there. And so I've always had a hard time like reconciling those two ideas. But the way you described it just now is is different than how I've ever heard it described. It's like you described it as no, like you are you are showing up regularly and it's not a it's not a burden. It's not like a you're not having to like force yourself to do it. Um which raises a lot of questions around the like, but how? <laughs> like, how? how does that work? You know, because <laughs> as much as I adore, like obviously this topic and get tremendous joy from it, like life gets busy and you get tired. And sometimes the last thing you want to do is to sit down and, and work on another project, if that makes yeah. sense. Yes. Oh, it absolutely does. So there, there's, I would love to just have this be the conversation between us because part of my response to that is that, um, there is a practical real, like realist side of this to where like to get things done, you have to do things right. Like you got to sit down and you got to write. But then the other part of me is like, but if you're tearing your hair out to write this book, don't like, don't do it. Like, I think there's two sides to this coin and the how is like the bridge between them. Like the how is we're going to get there. Um, but part of what I want to say is that um, if it's feeling like a burden, if it's feeling like you're forcing yourself to do it, I think there's a really big problem. At the same time, I also know that like people have deadlines. We have to make, you know, we have to make money in order to live. We have to, you know, some of us, this is our jobs. And so we have to produce a certain amount in order to sustain the life that we live. And I think there's a reality to that. And I don't think these are two conflicting ideas. I think there's a way to bridge them through the mindset that you have. And in no way does the stuff that I teach or adhere to is like, when writing's hard, don't do it, like just flat out. But there is absolutely a very strong undercurrent of like, if you're experiencing a really tough writing day is one day that you skip 
that's better for your health, like really going to affect your bottom line, you know? So like, I think there's a, there's a, a, an awareness that's at the key of this conversation of like, okay, why am I feeling such a resistance? Where's this coming from? And what are the drivers behind what I'm doing that I need to reevaluate? Like, what's the mindset that I'm having? What's the resistance that I'm hitting? What's the fear? Why is this so hard? Um, cause uh, again, in, in no way does my view of, well, you know, if you're, if you don't want to write, then just don't write mean like, um, when times are tough, you don't have to, mm-hmm. does that make sense? No, that does make sense. That absolutely yeah. makes sense. Um, that, so that's really interesting. Um, again, for anyone who, who's familiar with me, uh, from any other circle, I'm usually fairly open about the fact that like, I really, really struggle with perfectionism, like mm-hmm. crippling, cannot get out of bed perfectionism. Um, it's just very deeply ingrained in my brain and slowly it's been a very long process. I'm like trying to dig my way out of that, but it's hard. It doesn't always yeah. work. And there are still very specific parts of my writing process that I have not untangled from that perfectionism. And so I guess a part of my resistance to a lot of the like, you know, creative mindset things that people talk about is like, well, you know, when it feels really hard, like you can give yourself permission not to do it. And my response is like, it always feels hard. I hate doing like, it's <laughs> yeah. It's like, I hate, I hate writing first drafts with a v- aggressive burning passion. Yeah. No part of it brings me joy, but I love the story. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I love what it will, it will create. It's just the act of writing that first draft triggers every bit of self-doubt in my brain, even to this day. For anyone out there listening who's like, me too. It's like, yeah, I've been working at this for almost a decade now. Like, it's hard. It just is. Mm -hmm. And so if I didn't continue to push forward in the face of that, I would never write anything. Yeah. And that's always been a struggle for me of like, and at first I just assumed that the advice was wrong. And I've since learned that like, no, the advice is right. I'm just struggling with a specific mental block that I haven't quite found my way around. Um, but that, that definition makes, feels like it resonates a lot more than what I've heard in the past. Yeah. So um, if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you a couple of questions. Do you want to be like yeah, a little, do you want to be like Full a on, poaching guinea pig right now? <laughs> I'm sitting up straight in my chair. Um, okay. I, this is such a, a very cool place to start. And I love that we're having this conversation because you're not alone in these feelings, nor are you alone. You're not alone in the feelings that this is hard. You're not alone in the feelings that a lot of writing is hard. And you're not alone in the feelings that like perfectionism is uh, debilitating a lot of times. But as you speak, and as I, as I hear you talk and I, and I feel like I know you fairly well from the work we've done together over the last few years, um, that's where I would start. And I would be like, well, Lewis, if perfectionism is debilitating to you, what is at the root? What's your root fear in your perfectionism? What are you afraid of? <laughs> wow. Really? Like, all, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. The public podcast. <laughs> um, you don't have to answer that if you don't want to, but like, that's, that's right. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer. That's a, that's a tough question though. And it's something yeah. I've thought about, um, because I can't say, like, I can't say I'm a hundred percent sure what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, not to get real deep. I sort of, co- I come from an upbringing where like failure is very much not an option. Like, yep. you know, 
B's and C's were not a thing in my schooling. Like, you know, I'm very much, I started my life very much as an academic. Um, I still have to stop myself from like putting footnotes and things because God help me. Um, <laughs> like I, you know, I was in academia for a very long time and I loved it. Um, but it, it was a very competitive aspect of like, you, you know, failure isn't an option, but I also think, um, I'm in a sort of unique position in that this is also my job. Mm -hmm. um, so for anyone out there who like writing is, you you have to write to sustain a living, to pay rent, to eat food, to not die. Um, there's also that pressure of like, if it's not good enough, then I also like can't, I can't pay rent. I can't afford to live. And that's a scary thing. Um, and so often my brain is like, so do nothing. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> we have oh, to do something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's complicated. It's, it's, um, it, there's, there's a lot of stuff to it that I haven't fully unpacked yet, but I'd say that's the surface level of like what I can see at this yeah. point. Okay. This is so great because here is where, when I think of the writing experience and it being hard, um, I want to get at the heart with with a client, not necessarily with you right on this podcast right now, but like with a writer who's struggling with this, to build the consistency, you have to get at why is it not consistent? And then to get at, in this case, why is it not consistent? It's because you have, I wrote down three things that I'm hearing. Um, you have a very strong desire for safety. You have a really strong desire to feel enough. And when you don't feel those things or when you're at risk of not feeling those things, you avoid. It's pretty standard perfectionism. Um, what I mean by that is you're not alone. I think that's at the heart of a lot of people with perfectionism is the idea that we, we get into our perfectionist tendencies to keep ourselves safe mm -hmm. and to hopefully feel validated, hopefully feel that we are enough. So when you feel all of this pressure, all of this resistance, all of the avoidance, and like writing is so hard to get to that consistent place, it's because of these feelings of fear of, of not being safe, fear of unsafe. And I, I also want to say, I am um, drawing some statements on you. So that might not be accurate. Yeah, we are in a, in a podcast, right. but no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. Yeah. So I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm, you know, therapizing you because I'm not. But I do want to say that, that that draw or that drive for feelings of validation and and safety are where I would start with like a journey towards consistency because the longer that you have those fears and uh, again, asterisks, it's not easy to get rid of them. So we can circle back on that. But as long as those fears are driving, every time you sit down at the page, it's going to be really hard to, to build consistency because the fear, the fear is the thing that's making it hard. The, I, I heard you say first draft, but it's the fear that makes the first draft hard. There's, there's process, there's the way our brain works. And I want to acknowledge that every writer's brain is different. Um, and like first drafts might be naturally more difficult to you, but it sounds like the reason the first draft is so hard or the reason to the, is because you're trying to make it perfect because you feel like you'll be safe if you do that. So if we can work through that core and like give you safety elsewhere or build self-trust in yourself, 
the consistency, the, sorry, let me take, take back. If we can give you safety elsewhere, build that feeling of self-trust and continue to build the feelings of enoughness, the pressure lessens. It becomes less challenging to show up consistency because you're you're not driven by those fears. Mm-hmm. So what what's bring what's coming to your head with that? <laughs> Many thoughts that would be more appropriate for a therapy session. Right? I'll, I'll save people that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but that's so that's interesting. Um, yeah, I am a very diehard uh, puzzler. Uh, for anyone who's familiar with that, it's I learned it from Sarah Cannon, if anyone knows her work. Um, but it's like a it's it is very planning centric, but it's sort of like you have these ideas and you sort of piece them together into you know, you don't necessarily plan it all out linearly. And but I but I do like I really enjoy the planning aspect. Like I enjoy taking the pieces and getting to be high level and sort of strategic and like see the bigger picture. And I think part of why I hate first drafts is then I have to like drill down and like worry about each individual word. And I'm just like, this is going to sound weird, but like, I don't care about each individual word because I know I'm going to rewrite it all in a later draft. Love it. Um, Because my, my process is like, I write the first draft and then I, I rewrite it from scratch for the second. Um, Cause that just, I get a better final result that way, but that's, that's a little in the weeds, but um what what's standing out to me is something that I, I've talked about with a lot of students is that outlining a novel, it helps you figure out the story, but it also gives you a sense of psychological safety in that you can trust the work your past self did. So like if you if you get to the end of the outlining process and you can tell me with confidence that like, yes, I like this story and I feel comfortable with it, then when you know a student comes to me, they're halfway through their first draft and they're like, I hate this story, everything's falling apart, I'm panicking, I can say, three months ago, you told me you trusted this outline, so what's changed? And yeah. usually it's that nothing's changed, they're just second guessing it. Yeah. And that's really standing out with what you're saying of like a lot of a lot of that perfectionism and that like fear that can kind of drive you away from from writing or make it feel really difficult is that there you're maybe missing some of that psychological safety or there's something there that like you don't feel secure and so your brain is saying well don't do this yes mm-hmm. yeah and that's why i think so much of writing is mindset so we're going we're going to talk about this really, really cool thing that Lewis and I are doing with another creative. Um, we're putting together this like workshop on creative mindset. So more about that. But Lewis, when we were talking to plan the workshop, one of the things that we talked about was um, I had said that mind, uh, writing without mindset or, oh my gosh, what did I say now? Now I can't remember. Process without mindset falls apart. Like process will fall apart. You will not be able to write if your mindset is in that funky zone. And I think for a period of time, you can push forward. For a period of time, you can strong arm yourself. For a period of time, you can shame yourself into working. But eventually, if you don't have that mindset in a solid place, the second guessing makes you stop versus you, you're still going to second guess. I don't want people to take away that like when you make, when you work on your mindset, everything is beautiful all the time. And like, it's perfect. And you're able to show up every day and like, wow, you're so amazing as a writer. 
that's not what it does. But what it does is when you have your mindset in a really solid place, when you have the second guessing, when you hit that midpoint and you're like, oh my God, everything's falling apart. You can take a deep breath. You can say, you know what? I'm just second guessing right now because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm wasting time or I'm afraid that it's not working right or I'm afraid, you know, whatever reason. And then you can say, this is just my inner critic voice. I can move forward. So like the the voice, the inner critic voices don't go away, but it becomes like your mindset knows how to handle them, how to deal with them, how to be bring awareness to when those voices become super duper loud. You can stop them. But without that mindset work, the process falls apart. And that's when I think burnout happens. Not the only time that burnout happens, but I think that's when we get to burnout is when we try to force through all these resistance pieces because we're literally just shaming ourselves to work versus like trying to get at the root of what is our resistance. And in doing that, we create sustainability. And the sustainability is what prevents the burnout. So I think it's all connected. (laughs) Just like picture me with like this giant board with all these red lines, you know, like in murder mysteries where they're trying to connect all the dots, like mindset is at the top. And then there's all these red lines that are connecting. <laughs> yeah. I'm picturing you as Charlie Day. Like... That's exactly what's in my head. Yes. <laughs> um, this, this, I know this is something like we could do like 20 episodes on and uh, fully psychoanalyze me, which might be a little <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, but this is so... I'm actually thinking about a student of mine at the moment. Um, something that we've been talking about uh, together is that as she works, she has a very clear like place in the story. She always gets stuck. It doesn't matter what draft it is, how much we've worked on it together, how confident she is that it works. She hits about 30,000 words and her brain just says, I hate this story. I never want to touch it again. And then she's like, well, wh- what do I do now? And nothing about the story has changed. It's just something about she hits that point. And we've been describing it as you're outrunning your inner editor. And at about that point in the story, your inner editor catches up with you. And being not the mindset guy, I haven't really been sure where to direct her on that. Like we've talked through, you know, I've been able to, I can appeal to the logic brain. I can say like, okay, well, let's look at your story. Like, and we can look at it beat by beat. And like, everything's here that's supposed to be. Like everything is working the way you want it to like from a from an editor's standpoint this is really strong it's just some some barrier is hitting you um and obviously she's not here and i i don't want to armchair diagnose but i i'm getting a sense that maybe some of what you're talking about would sort of affect her as well and that like there's something about that point in the story where she starts to second guess herself and it sort of forms that cycle yes yeah and you i think you're initial feelings of like her inner editor is catching up to her is probably pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. I had, I had a very similar client um, who I've talked about on the podcast before, but she had, she would start a draft, get to a point where she hated it and then scrap the whole thing and start a brand new story. And mm-hmm. she probably had, she did this for literally 15 years. She probably had like 20 to 30 half written stories before she came to me and was like, I don't know how to finish a story, but like all of the craft knowledge was there. And she would, we would have lots of discussions about like outlining and planning, but it just is, we would hit a point where she would lose faith. And then after that, everything fell apart and it was so difficult to get her to finish the draft. 
we explored so much about perfectionism, so much about the idea of, um, so this is where I'm going to bring it back to hustle culture for a second, Mm -hmm. because in hustle culture, it tells us that we have to create on a timeline and that the more time we huge air quotes, everybody waste the less valuable we are as people. So in her head, she got to like a tough part and like subconsciously her brain was saying like, um, you're wasting time. This is a waste of time. You know, you're, you can't figure it out. You might as well just start over. And she would go start over. Um, where I'm getting at with her is that she was feeling this layer of hustle culture. She was also feeling this layer of perfectionism and fear that she wasn't good enough, that she was going to hit this point anyway by the end. So she might as well hit it at 30,000 words, whatever it is. And she was really, she had a very little self-trust confidence in herself that if she did move forward, she could figure it out. So with this client in particular, we took actually a really aggressive drafting strategy to outrun the inner critic. <laughs> so we had her draft literally as fast as she possibly could and mm-hmm. no stopping, no second guessing, no anything. She finished a draft. And like after she finished that first draft ever that she had ever written, she fit, she finally finished a draft. She like realized, Oh, it's not that scary anymore. Because I also think at some point it became a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, I'm going to hit the road black. Oh my God. I'm so afraid of that. So I, I think I agree with you that she's having her inner critic voices come at a, at a point in time. Mm-hmm. So, or before that she was able to avoid the inner critic. And then she gets to a point where the inner critic is like, Psst, this isn't good. Or it's about time for you to have a meltdown. Is it now? And then she's like, oh, oh my God. Um, I, the solution I think is to explore where those feelings are coming from. Like what's the fear and what's the, with this client in particular, we did talk for a long time about like, what is the root of your perfectionism? Because she even argued with me for like a solid two or three months that she had perfectionism at all. And I was like, no, <laughs> you have you it. And she would laugh now because we worked together for like three years and she knows now she has pretty solid perfectionism. But at the root of it, it's one of those, it's one of those fears. And once you identify the fear, you can think about like, okay, how can, you know, in like storytelling, when you have an internal goal, like a character has an internal goal, the thing they're searching for, it means they don't have it yet. Writers usually feel the same way. I think most people do. It's not just writers, but like we're searching for something, safety, validation, enoughness. So we're looking for that in the context of our pages and it's going to be hard. Like writing is going to be hard. We're not going to feel that inner goal all the time. So we develop other ways to give us the inner goal or like Mm -hmm. understand how to address like, actually you are safe. Like, I think I talked with this writer of like, literally what's the worst that could happen if you wrote the next thousand words and she would be like, I don't know. I'm like, let's try it. So we would ask all sorts of questions about like, is there any way that we can make this easier on you? What's the worst that could happen if you did this? Can we try X, Y, Z mental option? You know, I even would do sprints with her. Um, this was just me and this individual client. But like when she was struggling, she would text me and be like, I'm literally sitting at the page, like 
wide-eyed and blank. What do I do? And I'd be like, hey, I'm free. You want to do a sprint together? And we would do a sprint together. And it would like, so we tried a lot of different things to try and unblock that. I'm not saying that like your particular client has like an easy, this is what I would do. But I do think it comes back to the root of that fear and outrunning those voices only lasts for so long. You have to address the voices. That's yeah. Okay. That's, that's interesting on a couple levels. One, because I do agree with you. Like eventually you have to figure out where that inner editor, like what is giving it its strength yeah. to think in anime terms. Yes. Because we had an hour long conversation. It. about before this. Where is it drawing its strength? Yes. You know, um, <laughs> like, yeah, but I mean, it's also interesting on a practical level. Um, something that uh, that I think we're going to eventually talk about on on one of these when I'm co-hosting is um, I've been working on um, something that I'm calling intuitive outlining, mm-hmm. um, and I won't get super into it here because I don't want to derail us too much. But and this isn't just me patting myself on the back, but it is making me feel slightly better that I'm not just a total train wreck in terms of mindset. You're not. <laughs> not (laughs) (laughs) i think i've been like slowly trying to grasp at some of this because what you described with her is like the solution that you found was for her to write that first draft as fast as possible and just not worry about like to just get it done yeah and one of the things that i've been sort of working on in my own writing process is the idea of always writing forward Mm -hmm. um and always touching your first draft in some way. So the idea of like, if it's a, if it's a rough day, you don't have to, you know, say your goal is to write 500 words a day. If it's a rough day, you don't have to write 500 words that day. Like life happens. Sometimes it's just not the time, but you have to touch your draft. And that might be, you wrote five words. It might be you wrote one word. It might be you changed a period to a comma. You know, it might be you read through your outline or you said, I'm going to take 15 minutes and just daydream about my story because that's what makes me happy. Because like you're just, you're keeping it in your brain so your brain can chew on it a little bit. Um, And the idea of writing forward in that, you know, okay, you have, you say you, in my student's case, you've written 30,000 words and now you're second guessing yourself and you decide you want to change something you know, I think there's a root of that like second guessing that maybe is coming from the wrong place. Mm -hmm. But like, say you do decide to change something, don't then second guess everything you've already written. Just change it and pretend you, pretend you had that genius plan the whole time and just write (laughs) forward. Um, so long story short, the it's, it's both educating for me on like seeing having someone call out maybe what I've been subconsciously thinking about on like what I'm struggling with, but also a little validating that like, I'm, I'm starting to get there. This was just very helpful. I, I, yeah, this was very helpful. Good. Yeah. Hopefully it was for everyone listening to, and was it just (laughs) a therapy session for me? (laughs) No, I think, cause I think when we, when we first started talking, one of the questions that you had with this approach of like writing when you feel like it is, you brought this up earlier of like, but I also have obligations and like, I don't always feel like it. And we touched on that in the sense of, well, we've got to get at the root of why do you feel the way you do? But at the same time, I think so many writers are in the space that you're in where we've been conditioned to feel like if we don't do something, we have lost value to our society 
And I think that's the problem with hustle culture. I think I think hustle culture creates these ideas of um, production above all and like doing something above all is better than doing nothing. And then also the idea that rest is a waste of time. And then if you're, if you are resting, you're, you're doing something wrong. And like, how dare you? How dare you? Like I, I literally that dramatic. Sometimes it feels like, how dare you take a day off because you have goals, you have to achieve them. You have things to do, you have obligations. And like all those things are accurate and still remain true. And I also recognize that I, I speak from a vast place of privilege in a lot of the work that I do where like I can afford to take a day of rest. Mm-hmm. But here's my point. When you rest with shame, which stems from hustle culture, it's not doing anything for you. So even on those days when you're like, oh, I feel so terrible, I'm going to take a day off. If you're feeling guilty about it, you're not helping. You're not helping anything. <laughs> and like you're not contributing to the healing that your body needs. Um, and that that is almost more harmful to your process than just pushing through it. <laughs> like I, I, can't, I can't rate them. But I mean, you know what I mean of like this concept of um, – you work yourself to the bone to where you have to take a day off because you're burnt out or you're sick or you're, you know, whatever it is. But by the time you get there and you have felt the shame of taking that day off, you're not healing. So what we do instead is like, okay, let's take a step back. I cannot afford to take a day off. That's okay. What can we do to incorporate rest without guilt? I don't, if you take an hour of rest without guilt, to me, that is a thousand times better than taking a whole day off, but feeling like shit the entire time. And like resting, this is also, this is another thing that's hard. When you're so steeped in the hustle culture values and you're so steeped in these ideas of your, literally your output can determine the amount of money that you make. When you're, when that is your reality, it feels bad to not create. It does. And like, those are the, that's the time where I'm like, okay, you're uncomfortable. We got to sit with how uncomfortable this is. We got to push through with this uncomfortableness. We got to like, you know, put boundaries around our rest time and like, think of why do I feel so uncomfortable? What is the real, what is the inner critic saying? Is this true? Or is this a twisted version of truth? Does it have to be my reality? Or can I think about it a little bit differently? Because again, I want to go back to like, if you can't take a day off because of your life, you don't have to take a day off to still have productive rest. That's Mm -hmm. the point is like sustainability and consistency in your routine come from taking care of yourself. And taking care of yourself comes from resting without shame and guilt. We have the guilt in there. And the shame in there, that's when rest feels bad. It's it's a it's a you know when they say that change is uncomfortable, (laughs) that's that is a very uncomfortable zone for a lot of people is getting from the time where they take rest but it feels shitty to the time where they take rest and it feels neutral. There's uncomfortability in between those things, but like that's where work has to happen too, of um This is where I think perfectionism can get caught up. When you rest, you feel unsafe because you're not produced, not you in general, Lewis, but like people, (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it's okay. At me. At you, me. Lewis. <laughs> Take a day off. No, but like. <laughs> we joked at the beginning of this that I was going to fight you on mindset. So fight me. <laughs> I- <laughs> Lewis, take a damn day off and stop feeling bad about it. (laughs) Well, so that's my follow-up question. I don't want to cut you off, but that's my follow-up question of, I am aware that I am very burnt out. Like I've been burnt out for probably a year and a half now. I'm just tired always. And I I know that I have to address that, but I haven't found a way to address that yet. Because for instance, I'm not in a position where I can just take time off. And even when I do take time off, it doesn't seem to make a meaningful difference. And so what I'm, what I'm drawing from this is that there's a deeper level of mindset work that has to happen before you can really recover from burnout because just not working, just not doing work for a couple of weeks, like taking a vacation does yes. not, that's not going to heal the burnout. Yes. There's a deeper level. You're absolutely right. So I have a client that I started working with in this past January. So it's now we're recording this in October. So 10 months I've been working with this client. She came to me. She's a she's a teacher in the American school system. That's almost a given you're going to be burnt out. Right. Oh, no. She's been a teacher for 10 years. Um, she's also writing her book. She's on draft five. She came to me with like such high hopes, very like, oh, I can't wait to have a one-on-one book coach. I can't wait to write my draft. By week three, it was so evident to me that she was so burnt out from her job that it was impacting not only her writing life, it was impacting her sleep. It was impacting the way that she viewed herself, like her self-belief and her self-esteem. It was impacting her relationships. So we spend at least half of all of our coaching time talking about burnout and belief, like burnout and mindset. Because it's not something you heal from quickly. And the reality is she can't stop being a teacher. That's her job. And it's the same with like the work that you and I do. Lewis, you're not going to heal from burnout in a short period of time. But we have to work in intentional rest without guilt. So for her, what that looked like at first was the second half of Saturday. So like from noon until Saturday night, she rested without guilt. I got her into Yona of the Dawn. She watched. Oh, I yes. know, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> she, she watched Yona the Don. Um, anime love, yes. Anime love. Wow. Um, but we took. We literally looked at her whole week, and we carved out small periods of rest where she could play games. She played video games, so she could play mm-hmm. games. She could not. She. The only rule was no work and no writing, and like mm-hmm. anything else was fair game. If she wanted to sleep, if she wanted to read a book, whatever it was that felt creatively healing. We started really small. And we built really hard boundaries around that time. And then we worked up to a whole day. So then it was like Saturday, no writing, no work, no writing, rest. And then we were like feeling pretty good. And then we worked in, okay, Wednesday night. So we were we added in a little bit at a time to kind of get used to these feelings of rest without guilt. And slowly she started. Um, we also talked a lot about, sorry, this is my ADHD brain bouncing around a lot. Have you heard of revenge bedtime procrastination? I haven't, but the name is fairly descriptive. Yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> so it's um it's either it's it's either a Japanese term or a Chinese term. I have not seen a real consensus on where it stems from, but it's this idea that at night you're so busy during the day, you work so hard during the day that at nighttime you literally have to revenge procrastinate. So you go to bed later and you stay up because this is the only time of day that you have to rest. 
I feel so attacked. <laughs> you said I fight you. I'm oh, God, you said fight me. Yeah, no, I, I am. So I am like, like intrinsically just a night owl. Like my yeah. internal clock is just shifted, which has taken a long time to accept. Again, growing up being told that I'm lazy for yes. staying up all day and then not getting up in the morning. Um, but, but yeah, I definitely like. As soon as I decide it's time to go to bed, no matter how much I've been working all day, I immediately am like. Or I could stay up for the next five hours and do like 12 more things. Yes. And I'm like, I just want to sleep. <laughs> so we worked on that because that's oh, a real no. thing. We like, because she, we would talk about it. She would be like, I didn't sleep good. And I was like, why? And she was like, well, I was up really late. And I was like, why? She, she was like, well, I felt so stressed out at work that the only time I could really decompress was right before bed. And I scrolled on Instagram for two hours. And I was like, I have zero problem with scrolling on Instagram. I do it all the time. Um, but you have to be aware of what you're doing. Like, are you, you're scrolling on Instagram because you're overstimulated and because you're overworked and because you're burnt out. And this is the only way that you can check out of your bodily experience. Like that's what it does to our brains. So we, we like worked through that and now we are long story 10 months later and she's healing Jared form. She's in progress. And every week, that she encounters like a new struggle, like parent-teacher conferences. She's like, oh my gosh, this week is so busy, but it doesn't result in a spiral out of control where she loses her entire writing routine. Now it's able to result in, I worked one less day this week because I needed an extra day of rest. And like she's made more progress in the last 10 months as we consciously addressed her burnout than she did in the past like three or four years. It's, it really is the type of work that like, if you take the pause that you need now, you can be more productive again in massive air quotes, productive later, but we're given these feelings, these beliefs that if we stop being productive, we are losing time, losing money. We're not going to be able to survive again. It comes back to safety, but like your avoidance is causing you to be able to do less work. So if you address your avoidance, you could do more work. Like it's it's like the circular view of you've got to address the root thing before you can be less avoidant. But if you were less avoidant, you would actually be doing more. So 10 out of 10 times, this is true for me. This is true for my clients. This is true for our writers in the, in the tenacious writing community. The more they incorporated rest into their routine, the more they did, the more writing they were able to accomplish. Um, and like they were more... Again, I don't love the word productive because it, to me, it has all sorts of ties to hustle culture. But like literally the more they were able to do because they were no longer feeling like the burden of existential crisis of burnout. <laughs> yeah, so does that, does that help? I mean, like it's not something you heal from quickly. And it's also not something that you have to just take an extended vacation from. Like the reality is you can't do that. So that's not a solution for you. So we can build it in, in small pieces and ramp up. And the more you take the rest, the better you feel in those other times that you're not resting. Mm -hmm. No, this was fantastic. And I know <laughs> I can't keep you for like the next four I know, hours. I'm sorry. <laughs> so when exactly are you coming to my community to teach about I this? I know, right? <laughs> Whenever you No, want. this was really great. I really, really deeply appreciate it. Yes. Awesome. Um, I know we're technically on your podcast, but this was also really helpful for me personally. <laughs> You're right. This is my podcast. Thank you for coming. <laughs>
You can yes. armchair diagnose me any day. I love it. This is <laughs> such a fun part of my job. Um, no, but like I, I think that your experience is not alone. So I think a lot of people are in a very similar space. And like this is the work that we do in our one-on-one. And this is the work that we do in our Tenacious Writing community. And this is also the work that we're going to start doing in the workshop we're hosting together, which I am like literally so excited about. Oh, that okay. So the workshop, let me tell you guys about it. So the workshop is um, on creative mindset, on creative process. Um, it is on November 18th. Okay, so pull out your calendars, mark that day down. You are going to our creative mindset workshop with Lewis, with me, and with our very good friend Tiffany Grimes from Burgeon Design and Editorial. The three of us are hosting it. So when this podcast come out, we're going to be marketing the workshop. Um, this is your full invitation to come check it out. We will each be hosting three different classes and then we'll have like a joint class at the end of the day. So it's a, it's a full day of let's talk about this stuff. Let's talk about creative mindset. Let's talk about healing process. Let's talk about like how to develop the routine that fits for you and your life. There are no prescriptions. There are no, here are the seven steps to perfect success. It's not about that. It's about like you as a person with your unique life, how do we build that sustainability and that consistency that feels right to you um, and that looks right for your life? Um, So that will be again on um, November 18th. All of the details for this amazing workshop with the three of us are in the show notes. So swipe up right now, tap that link on the show notes, go look at the workshop and we hope to see you there. Um, what else, Lewis? What am, am I missing anything? I don't think you're missing anything, but <laughs> I'll put it this way. Uh, if, if, she, if Rachel, you can shake my entire sense of self <laughs> in 45 minutes, uh, imagine what you're going to do in 90 minutes for everyone who attends. So yeah, the idea is we're each going to be teaching about a 60 to 90 in a minute workshop throughout the day. And then at the end, we're going to have sort of a, a, just a round table space um, where everyone can chat a bit more conversationally and sort of ask questions and talk through stuff. You know, you can ask your, yes, what felt somewhat embarrassing at the start, but hopefully will not by the end mindset questions, um, you know, and, and have a really great chat. So it should be a really fun event. Um, it will. And I will be attending both of your talks because I know that I need them. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, th- and thank you for your vulnerability today. We did not plan to take our conversation in this direction, but I think. No, we started this saying we were going to talk about story points. <laughs> <laughs> I sure did. You're right. Uh, I was lured here on the promise <laughs> that I could talk about suspension of disbelief. <laughs> Uh, womp womp. If you're ever a guest on my podcast, <laughs> be prepared. Be prepared. <laughs> it's going to get deep, folks. It sure is. No, this is great. <laughs> I, I tease, but I really appreciate it. I love it. Okay, awesome. So check out that worksheet workshop. Check out that workshop. Louis, <laughs> thank you again for guest hosting today. Um, Louis will be guest hosting us for a couple weeks. So we will see him next week. All right. If you want to build a successful, fulfilling, and sustainable writing life that works for you, you've got to get on our email list. Sign up now to get our free email course, The Magic of Character Arts. After seven days of email magic, you'll have the power to keep your readers flipping pages all through the night. Link in the show notes. We'll see you there.